Podcastle, episode 304, for March 27th, 2014. Titanic. That's with an exclamation mark, people. By Levi Tidar. Rated R contains some violence. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, your host and co-editor. So, there's this epic love story. A young rogue and scoundrel of the lower class. A young lady of the upper class engaged to marry a man she doesn't love. There's an iceberg, a sinking ship, an epic liberating love story set to the tune of a Celine Dion song. But man, it's just not tense enough, is it? Let's make it more intense. Let's get the spurned lover, Billy Zane. Let's give him a gun and have him chase and shoot at Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio while the water rises. That will make things more exciting, right? James Cameron. Amateur. You could do so much better. So yeah, Titanic. You know how this one's going to end, don't you? Sometimes, the getting there is the important part. Podcastle is very proud to present Titanic by Levi Tidar, originally published in Apex 2013. Levi Tidar is no stranger here at Escape Artists. He's been featured at all three of our podcasts, and it seems like pretty much everywhere else, too. You might remember his story, Buried Eyes, featuring the wandering gunslinger Gorel in Podcastle 203, or Western Chow Mein Red Dawn from last year. And it's always a pleasure to have him back here. He won the World Fantasy Award for his novel, Osama, in 2011. And he has a new novel out now, The Violent Century, about British government superheroes circa World War II, with a very hard-boiled feel. Check it out if you can. The novel was just released at Audible as an audiobook, too. The reader this week is no other than Ian Stewart. Ian's read several stories for us, including The Ghost of Christmas Possible by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt, as well as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Terror of Blue John Gap. And he just read Pseudopod's 375th episode, The Signal Man by Charles Dickens. He's done work for the BBC and Manx Radio, as well as audiobooks, historical guides, and promotional videos. He's also a storyteller for The Ghost's Trail of York, taking tourists around the city and telling them some of its darker secrets. I've got to go to York just so I can take that tour. You can read more about his poetry and his dog Digby on his blog at the Top Banana. If you wish to contact him about voiceover work of any kind, you can get in touch with him on Twitter at at YorkRider99. His greatest boast is that he is the father of a famous son. That son being the one and only Alistair Stewart, of course. So keep an eye out for icebergs. Promise you'll never let go. And enjoy the story. Titanic by Lavi Tidar When I come on board the ship I pay little heed to her splendour, nor to the gaily strewn lines of coloured electric lights, nor to the polished brass of the crew's uniforms, not to the crowds at the dock in Southampton, waving handkerchiefs and pushing and shoving for a better look, nor to my fellow passengers. I keep my eyes open only for signs of pursuit, specifically for signs of the law. The ship is named the Titanic, 
I had purchased a second-class ticket in London the day before. I had travelled down to Southampton by train. I had packed hurriedly. I do not know how far behind me the officers are. I know only that they would come. He had made sure of that in his last excursion. The corpses he left were a mockery. Body parts ripped, exposed rib cages and lungs stretched like Indian rubber. He had turned murder into a sculpture, a form of grotesque art. The Japanese would call such a thing as he a kai, a monster, otherworldly and weird, or perhaps a kaiju. I admire the Japanese for their mastery of the science of monstrosity, of what in our Latin would be called the lusus naturae. I have corresponded with Dr. Yamani of Tokyo for some time, but have, of course, destroyed all correspondence when I escaped from London. And yet I cannot leave him behind. I had packed hurriedly a simple change of clothes. I have not dressed like a gentleman, but I carry, along with my portmanteau, also my doctor's black medical bag. It defines me more than I could ever define myself otherwise. It is as much a part of me as my toes, or my navel, or my eyes. And inside the bag I carry him, all that is left of him, one bottle, that is all. And the rest were all smashed up to shards back in London, back in the house, where the bodies are. I present my ticket to the steward. There is no suspicion in his eyes. He smiles courteously, professionally, already not seeing me as he turns to the ones behind me, and then I am on board. Perhaps infected by the other passenger's gaiety, perhaps just relieved at my soon-to-be escape, I stand with them on the deck against the railings, shouting and waving at the people we are soon to leave behind. My heart beats faster, my palms sweat. I am eager for us to depart, for our transatlantic journey to begin. I long for escape. At last it happens. The horn sounds, and the gangplanks are raised, and we are off. I sigh with relief. I had not realised how tense I had been but fear had taken its hold on me in all the long years of living with him. His presence in my life had made me fearful for the day he would get careless or go too far or leave me to be captured. No longer. England is a cesspit of corruption. It is too small, too confining. It looks not to the future but to the past. It is rigid and unyielding. It is time for me to look elsewhere, to the new world, where a scientist may work in peace, where there is space to grow, and where he, too, could roam more freely. For it is a vast land, and people may disappear there more easily and never be seen again. Yes, he could be controlled there. But for now, he is dormant within me. He will not emerge on this voyage, not unless I will it. A near accident. Our huge bulk causes waves in the harbour. We nearly drown two smaller ships, the SS City of New York and the Oceanic. I watch them rise on the waves, thinking of the size and power of the Titanic, like the power that I, myself, hold within me. 
It is a power all human beings have, yet I alone have found the means of liberating it. Only in Japan, perhaps, is their science greater than mine. That land is far, and their experiments have taken them in a different direction to my own. No, I am confident in my heart. My potion is unique, and I, a true original. The passage out goes without further hitch. The two smaller ships are not harmed, and I feel neither satisfaction nor disappointment. I stand on the deck and watch the harbour recede from view for a long time. I watch England grow smaller in the distance. I cannot wait for it to disappear. 11th of April, 1912. Cork. How I loathe the Irish! The docks swarm with these Irishmen and their equally squalid women. They come on board, several obviously drunk and singing riotously. I stand on the deck and smoke a cigar. A man of middle years and a somewhat stooped posture engages me in conversation. You're a doctor, he says, on noticing my black bag. I do not dare part with it. These Irishmen may steal a doctor's bag as easily as they would slit a man's throat. Yes. Yes, I say, what is it to you? Instead of taking offence, he chuckles good-naturedly. <laughs> I myself am in the medical profession, he says. I say, oh, and roll the cigar in my mouth. Yes, he says. I'm a purveyor of the snake oil cure. Are you familiar with that panacea? Enhydris chinensis, I say. It is a medicine of the Chinese people, is it not? I do not tell him that I had studied it intensively. My research has increasingly taken me to study the obscure and arcane sciences of the East. Oh, yes, he says, it is a marvellous medicine, a cure-all. I make a dismissive gesture, and his moustache quivers at that. Do not agree, sir, he says. I tap my cigar and watch the ash blow in the wind. Will the ship never leave? I am unsafe as long as we are in these European waters. Have the bodies been found yet? Has Hyde been implicated? He's well known to the police. Excuse me, I say. I meant no offence. His good humour returns. He gives me his calling card and asks me to call on him once in New York, promising me a bulk discount on his stock. It is of the utmost benefit to any doctor, he assures me. I'm glad to be rid of him. At long last the ship departs. There are thousands of us on board. 12th of April, 1912. At last, the open sea. The ocean is calm, the weather is mild, a sense of wild freedom grips me, the new world beckons. I have successfully avoided pursuit, capture. In New York I can start again, and the name of Jekyll will be forgotten. I pat my bag thinking of the bottle it holds. Already I am craving it. In America I will make more of the potion. He wants to get out. I can feel him pushing. 13th of April, 1912. A cold front, strong winds and high waves. Nevertheless, I brave the deck. I find being confined below excruciating. The press of people is repulsive to me. I take in the sea air, but my attempts to light a cigar prove futile. Last night I tossed and turned, the need burning inside me. I could feel Edward leering inside me, 
pushing to be let out. I find myself regarding women with Hyde's eyes, with his hunger. I see men and think of the blood coursing through them and of the glint of knives. More than two decades ago, when my experiments had just begun, he and I were sloppy. Jack, they'd called him then. I had less control of the formula then. The cold air revives me. Anticipation of the new world soothes me. I feel as though I have been given a second chance. 14th of April, 1912. The sea is very calm, but there is chill in the air. It is a fine morning. I have spoken to no one. It is a lonely life sometimes, but I have him for company always. The presence of the bottle in my bag reassures me it will not be long now. 14th of April, 1912. An ungodly crash! I'd just been climbing up to the deck when the entire ship groaned and creaked as if hit by some vast and monstrous hammer. I fell, but found my balance. My black bag was with me, and I assured myself the sample inside was intact. I hurried upstairs, finding the decks in a confusion of people. What could this mean? Sir, I hear an officer speak near me and find myself pushed to the front, and realise the man resplendent in magnificent uniform further ahead is the captain. Sir, we've hit something. Is it an iceberg? The captain says, his manner outwardly calm. No, sir, the officer says, it isn't an iceberg, it's a... Someone screams. It is a high-pitched scream. I cannot tell if it is made by a man or a woman. Look! Look at that! Look at that thing! As if on cue, the ship's powerful spotlights come on at once, piercing the night, momentarily blinding me. I hear a terrible sound, a roar as of a thousand engines cranking up to their utmost power and beyond their breaking point. It's... it's a... My God, I think, awed. How could anyone mistake this for an iceberg? It towers over the ship and the Titanic looks like a toy in comparison. An enormous, beautiful monstrosity, like a cross between a gorilla and a whale. It opens its mouth and roars, and a lizard's giant claws land with a defeating roar on the deck of the Titanic, splintering wood and cutting deep into the underlying levels. I hear screams. I see a man's head explode like a wet red balloon where the monster had crashed it in its wake. It's a... It's a daikaiju, I say, though they do not hear me. I breathe out a giant kaiju. The scientist in me is enthralled. The beast within me is hungry. Hyde responds to the creature like a drunk. He bangs against the walls of his prison to be let out. Screams rise into the air. The monster, angered or afraid, lashes against the ship. Its powerful tail slams into the side of the ship, and the deck tilts alarmingly. Bodies fly through the air. Abandon ship! Abandon ship! Panic takes over the Titanic. To the lifeboats! A press of bodies as the ones down below attempt to climb up to the open deck to find escape. People shove and push each other in their panic. I see a woman trampled underfoot. I, too, try to make my way to the lifeboats, but the swell of people is too strong. And I'm old, and panic rises in me as I am sidelined, pushed, shoved, 
hurt, and all the while the beast roars above our heads, lashing with talons and tail at the Titanic, ripping it slowly apart. To the boats! And there they go, while, unbelievably, the ship's orchestra plays on. At least until the beast, annoyed perhaps by the noise, slashes at them with its claws and the music stops abruptly with a clatter of panicked notes. The ship tilts, was sinking. I hear the boats dropping into the waters, hear a gunshot ring as officers attempt to control the manic passengers, children and women first. And something breaks in me, something that has no name. No label I could easily affix to it, like a specimen bottle or a beaker of potion. I can escape, I realise. And yet... Doctor! I hear the cry. We need a doctor! Please, help! A woman lying on the deck, holding an injured child in her arms. Her face is panicked. There's blood on the deck, still holding my black medicine bag. Now I open it. All of a doctor's requirements are there. I could help them. I reach inside and find the bottle, the potion, my life's work. I could help the child, I think, or I could let out Mr Hyde. I stare at the bottle in my hands. To swallow its contents would liberate me, would hide me, would allow me to fight my way to the lifeboats and to escape, to live. I had lived half my life as a monster, I realise, and that had led to my eventual ruin and my disgrace, and finally my exile. I look up at that titanic being towering over the ship. It's frightened, I think. Monstrous, yes, but also beautiful. And I'm glad I've lived long enough to see one. I look at it for a long moment, and then I look at the bottle in my hands. Please, please help him! I could live a monster, I realise. Or I could die a man. I stretch my arm as far back as it will go, then back in one smooth motion and throw the bottle as hard and as fast as I can into the roiling sea. Welcome back. So, yeah, I kind of teased this at the beginning, but my creative writing teacher in college loved to slag on Titanic. An epic love story with a tragic setting. Why do you need Billy Zane chasing them around the boat with a gun to add tension? You're doing it wrong. No, seriously, James Cameron, you're doing it wrong. Titanic could have been so much more. If you'd made DiCaprio, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, and had him come face to face with Godzilla, man, I'd still be sobbing my guts out at the beauty. You'd be doing it so right. But really, I think we need more stories like this, more story elements that get tossed into a blender to make an oh-so-delicious smoothie of a tale. One part real-life historical event, preferably tragedy, but not necessarily, Next, add in a mythic or literary figure, historically based or otherwise, and finally toss in a movie subgenre. Let's try this out. Our first story, set around the outbreak of the Civil War, ten years after the event of Moby Dick, Ishmael enlists on the USS Monitor and on their voyage, 
they find a far more terrifying foe than the Confederate Army. Next, the Salem Witch Trials with Hester Prynne, special possible cameo by Solomon Kane, urban fantasy, or whatever passed for urban back in Puritan times. How about you take Huckleberry Finn as a middle-aged man, place him around the last ride of the Pony Express, and make it, I don't know, portal fantasy with dragons? Weird Western steampunk seem a little too obvious. How about something with Long John Silver, John Henry? They could be fighting elves or sea monsters or zombie pirates. This is pretty fun, right? You should totally try out a few of those, but don't send them to us until after we reopen for submissions. Yes, this is your friendly neighborhood reminder that we're closed for submissions, probably until June at the earliest, which gives you plenty of time to write those stories and get them nice and polished before sending them to us. Right? Right. Okay, feedback this week is for Gene Wolfe's The Gunner's Mate, read by C.S.C. Cooney and myself. This was the story of a beach resort haunted by a pirate's ghost. Reaction to it was about as mixed as those fruity little drinks with umbrellas I like so much, and also just as tasty. Varda said, It was the creepy, funny, luxury resort plus pirates mashup I've been waiting for my whole life. Yes, slow moving, but I think the fun of it was the clash of the elements, since those sorts of places always play up the pirate cheese while glossing over just how unpleasant pirates really are, and still are in parts of the world. And Coneo Gordo said, I did like Muriel's hard-to-explain attachment to a place that others find dark and unpleasant. I have enough Byron via Lovecraft in me that I too have an inexplicable attraction to strange, dark, lonely places. But primarily, I just wanted to thank Dave for not introducing the story as being rated R. Oh, uh, hey, you're welcome, Conejo. It's cool that I mentioned it in the feedback, though, right? Anyway, you can get in on the discussion, shower me with thanks, etc., etc., at forum.escapeartist.net. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your money keeps our podcast going while the kaiju clock kicks down, 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 and keeps our authors from taking a licking. Really, for as little as two bucks a month, you'd be a hero here at Podcastle, helping us keep on going through eldritch kaiju-infested waters. Thanks so much. Well, that was our show for this week. We do hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, LaShawn Wanick, Graham Dunlop, M.K. Hobson, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, and myself, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week when Patter O'Gillen uses dark magic to play with our hearts, not in a Celine Dion way, and then remove them from our chest cavities. We're the kings of the world, and we'll see you next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote is from George R.R. Martin, who said, A good act does not wash out the bad, nor a bad act the good. Each should have its own reward. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a week.